Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Joel Grote, and this is episode two with with Charles and Murray Kester. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, got the last name right. That's three quarters (laughs) of the battle. So we are delighted to have Murray with us. I just met Charles tonight for the first time during his interview. So Lynn, I'm going to let you do a little more intro of Murray, and then we're going to jump into your story and let you share how, where God's taking you from and where he's taking you to and excited to hear it. Murray had a difficult time uh, leaving the people of Mormonism, I think, and the emotions of Mormonism, but she'll tell us about that. Tell us, Marie, did you, were you raised in the church? Were you raised in Utah? Right. Um, my background is I was raised, born and raised in Southern Alberta, Canada, which uh, ah. I tell people um, it's more Utah than Utah. Uh, it was <laughs> settled in eight, 18, late 18, well, I don't know, sometime in the 1860s by polygamists families that were fleeing the persecution and the law in Utah. So at that time, it was just Hudson Bay Indian Territory up there in Southern Alberta. So that's um, where my ancestors came from. But my on both sides of my family, my mom's and my dad's, um, my ancestry goes all the way back to Nauvoo. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm a direct descendant of Brigham Young. My great great grandmother was Ina Diantha. 1910. Yeah. She's my great, great grandma. So anyway, uh, I I could talk for a long time about that. I had a, I had a great childhood, but I grew up, I grew up in a town of three, about 300 people. And um, there was always talk about the need to split the ward because (laughs) everybody was LDS. Everybody was Mormon. I didn't, I, I, I had a couple of acquaintances going to school that weren't LDS, but very, very um, traditional, very, um, I say more Utah than Utah because Utah over the years has had a lot of urbanizing influence and a lot of people moving in and Salt Lake has become very mm-hmm. metropolitan and, and not even predominantly LDS statistically anymore, I think, or maybe it's about half and half. No, no it's, then, yeah, yeah, it's at least really right. close. It's barely, but, yeah. if it is, so. Yeah, but little old Glenwood, Alberta, where I grew up, it's about 20 miles from Cardston, Alberta, where the Cardston Temple is. Um, it remains predominantly LDS because it's a rural, small town area. We just, there hasn't been the influx of people. And so it remains very, very traditional LDS. Now, do you and still have family living there? I do. My parents still live in Card. My parents live in Cardston. I have one brother who lives uh, in Billings, Montana, and I have an older sister that lives in Abbotsford, BC, and then um, another, my my other younger brother lives with my parents. He and my wonderful sister-in-law have, have, uh, they 
they've moved in to help take care of my parents okay. as they're aging. But they're all still LDS, faithful, okay. committed LDS. So far, I'm the only one. Wow. Now, do you have then polygamy in your background at all? Oh, yes. Okay. I was going to say, because oh, yeah. that's strong. That was the strong influence. Well, in that that's area. why those communities came to be. Yep. Yeah. No, my uh, mainstream Mormonism, none of my relatives and in my family have ever been involved in any of the fundamentalist split off groups. It's always been the mainstream LDS church headquartered in Salt Lake. Okay. So if you so, went to BYU. I went to BYU. Okay. I was going to say, so what was your exit out of Alberta? It was I went, to go to school. I, Okay. Yep, I went to BYU in Provo when I was 18 and stayed there till I served a mission. I served a mission from 91 to 93 in Fukuoka, Japan. Wow. Ooh, and I came, yeah, I went to Fukuoka, Japan. And then I came back from my mission, uh, met Charles. I was only home a couple months when I met him. We met first part of May. We were engaged by August and married by Thanksgiving. Mm. Wow. So, but both returned missionaries. So it was, it was uh, a marriage made in heaven, right? I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. (laughs) We we were straight arrows. We did absolutely everything we were supposed to. Hmm. We were good kids. Yep. And you settled in Utah. We started, well, we stayed there uh, while we both finished our undergraduate degrees. And then we moved to uh, Devonport, Iowa for Charles to go to chiropractic school. And after we graduated chiropractic school, we moved to southernmost Illinois, almost down into Kentucky for several years where he practiced. And then, um, then the, the, the Mormon train went off the rails. <laughs> and that's when things started to go crazy when we were in Illinois. Okay. Oh, but you were back in Utah, weren't you? Yeah. So it's a real long story. I'll try to abbreviate it. And, and it, it is related to... Um, this faith crisis with Mormonism, and, and it started with Charles. Um, but he was several years in and had actually come to the conclusion three or four years previous that Mormonism was not true, was not what he had been taught his whole life. Um, but the, the nature of the, the conflict that it brought, the wedge that it brought into our marriage is he just continued to basically be a shadow believer um, for several years because he knew the implications of what that would mean for our marriage. Were you aware that he was having, was he bringing anything up to you from time to time? Um, A couple of times, I think he tested the waters Okay, (laughs) and discovered that it would not be safe. And looking back, I'm really broken about the fact that he had to go through all of that really searching. He was broken himself. I, and I do remember him telling me, Maria, I'm not looking for reasons to leave. Mm. I'm trying to find reasons to stay, but there are questions that I got to have better answers to than what the, the LDS church is providing. But we really couldn't talk okay. about those things. So it was very much his personal journey. Um, and he couldn't share a lot of it with me or else it just brought too much conflict. Right. Into our marriage. So he started questioning and actively investigating Christianity and some other things in that time period when we were in a little tiny town in southernmost Illinois called Anna. That was, uh, I mean, it's not technically in the Bible Belt, but it was pretty much a little Bible Belt community with churches on every corner. So let me ask you this. Would you have left him, do you think? 
if he had quit going to church or made a final decision at that point? No, no. Um, no, I wouldn't have. In, in retrospect, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. My, my husband and I are, um, <laughs> we, we are, I mean, to say opposites attract doesn't even come close. But one, <laughs> we've learned a lot about ourselves. One of the one of the things that was problematic is the way Charles. Um, my husband is a very, he's a very, into, intellectual, mm -hmm. rational, um, in his Logical. mind mm -hmm. kind of person, and he's very suspicious of emotion. He always has been by nature as his personality, but his experiences in the LDS Church. And especially the teachings of we know truth through our emotions. That's mm -hmm. how the Holy Ghost communicates. That never, that never landed with him. So he's always erred on the side of everything has to make rational, scientific, logical sense. Mm -hmm. Where I was the opposite, just so emotional, so based everything on emotion. And that is why even when he would present things to me, like there's no DNA evidence for the Book of Mormon, um, you know, and he would bring up these problematic things that he was trying to find answers to, like Joseph Smith's polygamy. And, you know, the list, we, we are familiar with, with these issues, and it would just go on and on. But he would try to approach it from, from a very logical standpoint, and that didn't work with me because I had been programmed and taught my whole life that I know truth through, the, the, through my feelings. That's how the Holy Ghost communicates, right? I pray. I get the answer, I feel peace or happiness or joy, or if, if not, then it's a stupor of thought and confusion. And that is how I operated for everything. And, and you certainly have had experiences where those emotions confirmed powerful, particular beliefs. Powerful, okay. So powerful can you tell us, give us a couple of those examples? Oh my goodness. Um, I could just go on and on. I've, I was born an old soul. You know, I've just always, um, <laughs> it's just always been really important to me to, to understand the nature of the world that we're living in. And so, well, here's one particular instance. I couldn't have been more than 10 or 11, right? And uh, we've been, we've been taught in our Sunday school class or young ones, I don't remember what, maybe it was primary that, you know, to gain a testimony of the Book of Mormon, you read and you pray about it. So here I am, this little 10-year-old kid in my bedroom, um, and I'm praying to know whether or not the Book of Mormon, and I did read it. I read the Book of Mormon for the first time when I was wow. 10. Um, and reading to find out, you know, is this true or not, and then waiting for that great, powerful experience, and didn't come. Did Anyways, um, waited for a while, and then um, had this thought well, your parents think it's true, obviously, and your grandparents do, and everybody that's important to you knows that it's true, so it must be true. And I just had this kind of, oh, well, uh -huh, of course, it's true mm. kind of experience. Yeah. And I just mm -hmm. always thought, well, that was the Holy Ghost enlightening my mind and telling me it's true. So that's just one experience, but I had experience after experience after experience in the LDS church that reconfirmed this this method will be no true through our feelings because I'm a hyper emotional person. So my point was, I've watched 
the Lord do a work in Charles to bring him slowly to a place where he is not always trying to lock down his emotions, where he's oh, opening yeah. himself up a little bit more to the possibility that there, there is something more to the human experience than what just intellectually goes on in our thinking process. And I have, the Lord has brought me more to the other, uh, to the middle where I realize that that's really, really foolish to try to operate and make your decisions and figure out truth based on emotion. Yeah. So saying that if I had been less emotional and less convinced that these emotional experiences I had were indeed the Holy Spirit testifying to me of the truthfulness of Joseph Smith's role as a prophet of God. If I had had, if I'd been less emotional and Charles had been less intellectual, I think we would have been able to navigate the transition better. There would have been more middle ground for you to share and have in common. But at this point, he probably seemed so coldly rational. How could you even yes. be in touch with the spirit? Yes. And exactly. he's thinking she is so emotionally overboard. There's nothing. Nothing that, I can say. Yep. Yeah. That's yep. a really rough exactly. place to be in a relationship. So, One of the scriptures that I came upon in Proverbs hit me about this. It says, um, someone who does not use sound reasoning ends in the assembly of the dead. Mm. And I realized that not only (laughs) should I be using feelings and maybe not even that nearly as much as I was, but Mm -hmm. I could use my brain in faith and that the Christian faith in the Bible Mm -hmm. actually has logic and reason and things like internal consistency that you don't Mm -hmm. find in Mormonism. Yeah. And if I, if, if, if I had to say, what was the exact moment in time where that, that, that fatal crack or the shelf fell, it was in that moment when I realized, wait a second, all these experiences that I have been staking my my, all my decisions on my marriage on these, my testimony came on my LDS testimony. When I realized that the Bible actually says that is not the way to know truth. Um, God had to, and, and that's a story in itself, but over the space of about three days, he taught me, um, in very, very clear ways that I understood. And I knew who I was having an encounter with, he taught me that what I was so convinced to be true was nothing but emotion. And that that was not pleasing to him for me to base everything on emotion, that that wasn't true testimony. And so that opened the door. And that was actually the turning point for Charles and me where when that's when I stopped going, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Don't talk to me. I have a testimony. The Holy Ghost told me it's true. So it doesn't matter what you say. Um, when I realized that's not a biblical testimony, that's, um, when I was humble enough that then I could start opening my mind to the possibility that everything I was so absolutely convinced to be true was not true after all. So was there any particular person or thing that God used? Or was that just simply mm. God penetrating through the spirit? <laughs> well, it, it was, it wasn't a particular person like a face-to-face encounter. Um, but 
what happened okay so it started with with on one sunday and this was this was in 2011 and charles started questioning in 2008 so by this time he's already years into this very lonely journey um wondering if he's gonna lose his family and his kids and his wife and and finally one day we came home from and i'd known for years that his heart wasn't in it he was just going through the motions but we came home from from sacrament meeting one day and he he took me in into the room alone and said i gotta talk to you and he never does that never it's, it's always me we gotta talk but no he he said i gotta talk to you and he just said i can't do it anymore i literally get sick to my stomach when i walk in an lds chapel mm. i can't do it anymore so you're gonna have to decide do you still want to be my wife do you still want to be married to me but i'm done with the lds church and uh, there's no words to describe how I felt in that moment, even though I knew it was inevitable and it was coming, you know, now that it was finally right there in front of my face, it was like all the air had been sucked out of the room. I just couldn't breathe. But um, I do what I always do with a hyper emotional person. I just dissolved into tears and then I drove to Utah Lake where I could have some solitude and write in my journal and pray. And my prayers were basically... Um, Heavenly Father, you got to do something about Charles because he's completely off the rails and I've been trying all these years to get him back on track and he's he's gone. He lost it. And I mean, I was seriously like, you got to send an angel or <laughs> I sound like a wacko person, but <laughs> is there something you can do to intervene here because I'm I'm I've lost him. We've lost him. Well, and, desperate times call for desperate prayers. So, <laughs> And clear as anything, I had the unmistakable impression lay upon, laid upon me powerfully. He is not the problem. You are. Wow. Those words, Ooh, exactly. That's he, called conviction, right? He's not the problem. You are. I've been leading him to truth these last five years, and you are the one that refuses to listen. Wow. So that happened and then I went home and I told Charles what had happened and I said, okay, I'm ready to talk. What do you want me to know? And he said, oh no, I'm not telling you anything because then you'll hate <laughs> me. <laughs> he said, here's some, here's some things you can read. And so uh, he had me read about the Swedish rescue. He had mm -hmm. me read the CES letter. And mm -hmm. then um, it was about three chapters into um, the Tanner's book. Uh, what's the one about... No, it is, it's the one particularly about how the LDS church keeps morphing. Anyway, oh, yes. Yeah. I don't remember what that one's called, but about three chapters. Changing world of Mormonism. Yes, that's the one. I was about three chapters into that ebook. Um, and then the next thing I knew, I was on the floor in the fetal position in my living room saying, this, is a, this isn't tenable. I can't, I cannot. Wow. It's, it's exactly what he's been telling me all this time so so off air before we actually started recording the interview you talked <laughs> about yeah. finding lynn's book because i think he went and got a copy mm -hmm. he actually met with them yeah so can you tell us just a little bit about that and what that was like for you and kind of where you were related to all this? Yeah, at that point, I was still all in. I was, I, 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 um, I'd always had some questions about Mormonism, particularly I had a real problem with polygamy, especially with my family background. And then knowing the full story mm. of, of Zina um, and her, I don't know, <laughs> yes. basically being passed around from guy yeah. to guy. Um, 
anyway, I'd, I'd had problems. So I, I don't mean to say that I was a Mormon that never questioned anything. But at the end of the day, when the rubber hit the road, I had these powerful emotional experiences that I always fell back on. I can't explain. I'll, I don't have the answers to these questions. These are huge problems, but I have this testimony and that's right. where I stand. I mean, we're, we're several years into this journey at this mm -hmm. point. Um, and basically we, we have a big conflict and a blow up and then things settle down and we go, you know, just with the elephant in the room for several more weeks or a few months. And then there's another crisis, but we'd had crises up until that point where he refused, he stopped going to the temple. I still remember vividly the last time we went to the temple together. Um, that devastated me when he said, I will not go to the temple anymore. Um, when he refused to pay tithing anymore. So there were these milestone points where even before we got to the point where he said, I can't do it anymore, uh, where I knew he right. was, he was out. So, and so I don't remember how I found out. I think I saw the book, um, just laying on the counter or something. He probably left it there on purpose for me to see. <laughs> I don't know. I remember seeing the book and looking at it and uh, confronting him and being so devastated, feeling so betrayed and saying to him, how could you do this to me? How could you go and meet with those people? Mm. And that's what you and my core to me at that time, Lynn, those yeah. people, those people that you know, the so enemy. You'd heard about, so you'd heard about Mike and Lynn then before? To yeah, know I don't him? remember why. I don't, I didn't know their names or anything. I just knew he, I think he told me that he'd been to meet with these people. I don't even know how he heard about you or got your number. I don't remember. He must've been talking with some pastor in the, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that part of the story, but yeah, I, it was, I felt a complete and utter betrayal. It's enough that they were apostates. They were former cons members. Consorting with the enemy. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yep. <sighs> so did you ever end up reading the book? Oh, yeah. Okay. Every word. <laughs> I did. That was, that was after. That was after. Like, I didn't. Up until that. that uh, I'm not comparing myself to the Apostle Paul, but I relate a lot, you know, to mm -hmm. that moment on the road to Damascus, where literally in an instant, it was revealed to him that he was 180 percent, I'm not 180 percent, 180 yeah. degrees yeah. headed in the, in the direction. wrong direction. Yeah. And so I relate to that a lot because that is how dramatic it was for me. I was absolutely convinced that the LDS church was still true. Yes, there are problems. We've gotten off track. We, we're not emphasizing grace and Jesus like we need to, but this is still the true church. Was absolutely convinced of that until the moment when I wasn't. Wow. So then what brings you, what brings the transition from, okay, this is wrong. What are my spiritual alternatives now that the LDS church isn't, what I thought it was for my right. whole life. Well, for me, um, atheism was a possibility for about 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like I said, I mean, I've, there's, I know there's a lot of people, probably people even listening that they, they look at people like me and just kind of shake their head. I'm married to one, right? You know, I'm the- mm -hmm. Oh, I'm I the know Charles, Charles shared that he went down that atheistic agnostic possibility route for some mm -hmm. time. 
So And I, I never really did because for me, even from a young age, like I told you, I was born a young, an old soul. I have just, for as long as I can remember, had such a love and a conviction that there is a creator. Yeah. And I have studied atheism. I, you know, have some education. Uh, I know some science and uh, to me, I just, I look at the world and the universe we're a part of, and to me, there's just absolutely, uh, that is the that's epitome. That's not a tenable of, explanation. No, it's yeah. untenable. It's, it's the, that's the epitome of irrationality to me, to try to think that somehow all of this just happened into existence with no purpose and no destiny. Um, so atheism floating off into the nothingness of atheism was never an option for me. Um, and I knew enough about the Bible. I'd studied the Bible my whole life. I knew enough to know that I couldn't just dismiss it and say, oh, this is okay. all made up. And uh, I'd had enough personal encounters with the answer to prayer and, and my own personal convictions. I knew there was a God and I knew the Bible was not just a human document and I knew Jesus Christ was important in there some, somehow. And I, I, everything else could go away, but God, Jesus, and the Bible. Those things had to remain in my life somehow. And that's maybe a good place to tie up, right, Probably. Joel? We're, we're going to hear where that led and how difficult it was in a marriage relationally figuring all of this out. Yeah. And then, you know, what eventually led to your, you know, faith to, you know, to a grace relationship with the Savior. Um, and then, yeah, how that impacted your, how that's impacted and continues to impact your relationship yeah. with Charles. So yeah, um, we'd love to have both of you guys back. So. All right. Sounds good. Grace and peace until next time. So long. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Join us next time for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. As always, you can find show notes, program transcripts, and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We greatly appreciate your support for the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.